Ever felt like you were struggling with sin? I didn't expect you guys to raise your hands. Cool. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question, but that's good. It's like, I know that guy's struggling. <laughs> yeah, we struggle with sin. How do you feel when you struggle with sin? <laughs> it, you feel bad. I was telling my... Oh, thank you. I have a little clicker. I was telling my buddies I was really struggling uh, these last couple weeks. Last week, if you weren't here, I taught on doubt, right? And how it's not a sin to doubt. But I was talking to my buddies about like, just, just feeling like I'm never like, measuring up to what um, I feel like a Christian should be. Like I had this thought in my head, like a Christian should be like someone who prays and doesn't struggle with prayer or reading the Bible or, or ordinary sins. Like I, I have a temper. I, I always lose my temper on my kids. It, I'm glad only one of them's here. Um, I, I lose my temper on my kids all the time. And like I get really frustrated and mad and I say things I don't mean to say. Right? And I just, I go back to God and I'm like, God, why the heck am I still like this? Why do I suck as a Christian? You know, and, and I get into this, this, this mindset and I know, I know that the scripture says you're saved by grace and all this kind of stuff, but it still doesn't make me feel any better. Like, have, how many of you guys ever like promised to God that you weren't going to do something ever again? Like, God, I'm so sorry, I won't ever do it again. And then you do it again. Then you do it again. Then you do it again. And eventually you're just like, nah, forget it. I'm not even going to promise because <laughs> I'm a liar. Right? You feel that way? Today, I want to encourage you guys because um, I don't know if you guys know this, but a lot of times the, the sermons that I preach, I'm actually preaching to myself. So I, like, I'll, I think about, oh, I want to do that. I, I want to talk about this is because I'm struggling with that right now. And so this is one of those things where the scandal of grace, I need to remind myself of what grace is. And I think for you guys, maybe this entire summer, you've been trying to follow the Lord more closely. I know that you guys are being working on discipline and working on uh, being more devoted, spending time in the Word, reading books, all this kind of stuff. My staff um, are, are doing that. And it's like you get to the point where you're just like, well, I, you know, I, I'm not going to bed at the right time. I'm not waking up at the right time. I'm not thinking about God. I'm not praying. In fact, it's been a month since I read my Bible, on and on and on, and you just kind of like... I'm done with it, and you're struggling, you feel nasty, and you don't want to talk to God about it because you're kind of embarrassed and ashamed, and you don't want to tell your friends, and every time you come to church, you're reminded, and you're like, oh yeah, I need to do that, but you still don't do it, and nothing's changing, you're wondering whether or not God is actually doing anything in your life, right? That's my struggle all the time, obviously not reading the Bible, because I have to do the, uh, read the Bible for this job, but, but the fact of the matter is, like, there's some times where I don't feel anything. I don't feel passion for God at all, right? And that's scary. And so we want to talk about, we want to talk about grace today and what that actually means. Um, Will so eloquently read John 13, 18 through 30, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read this one little bit of it. It's uh, 13, 21 through 24, and I put it up there, yeah. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, One of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. So this is the situation that we're going to talk about. Because in this situation, we know that there is grace that is needed. Right? What is going to happen to Jesus? Jesus is about to be what? Betrayed. The Son of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about Jesus in terms like this, but Jesus is a youth pastor. We, we don't know this, but uh, theologians, they all kind of generally agree that they think that Peter probably is the only one of the disciples that's over 21 years old. 
you guys know that? I don't know, but like people just think of like all the disciples as like big, well, they might have had big beards, but, but they were young. They were young guys. Right? So now put yourselves into their shoes. What's Darius? Put yourself into their shoes. He's talking to, Jesus is talking to a bunch of guys, college group guys. And they're eating bread. They're doing the Passover thing. And Jesus is talking to them. And he's troubled in spirit. And this is what I love about Jesus. He's absolutely human. He's divine, but he's absolutely human. He's troubled in spirit. And he says, very truly, that means, listen, guys, this is real. Like, I'm about to get real with you. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And I love the response of the disciples. You know, these guys are young college students, right? His disciples stared at one another, lost to know which one he meant. So they're looking around, right? And one of them... The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I don't know if you know this about John. John is the writer of this book, this gospel. All gospel means is the, it's like the story, right? When they talk about the gospels, it's the story of Jesus, right? John writes this, and he always writes of himself the one whom Jesus loved. But you can do that if it's your book, right? The one whom Jesus loved. John always describes himself. He never mentions himself by name. He just says the one whom Jesus loved. And the one whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. So uh, if somebody told you, like, okay, let's say we were in college group, all of us, right? We were just all hanging out, eating bread or something, okay? Hummus, hummus, right? And I'm like, one of y'all is going to kill me. What would you guys do? Would you just lay there and be like, hmm, that sucks, man. You know, you guys would pop up. You're like, what? <laughs> right? Because it, where they used to eat, the table was really low, kind of like these Asian tables, and they would recline on these pillows and lean on these pillows, right? And John does not even move. He's reclining next to Jesus. He's just laying there. Right? One of you is going to betray me. What? John's just like this. Right? And I love Peter because th- this is the difference. We're going to compare and contrast John and Peter today. Peter is the guy who's like, oh, I'm going to fix this. I know some people. Right? He says, Peter mentions to this to the disciple and says, hey, ask him which one he means. Who, which one? And he's looking around. Is it Andrew? I knew Andrew would do this, you know? He has his eye on. Is it Chris? I'm just kidding. Chris wasn't a disciple. <laughs> he is now. But Simon Peter mentions his disciple and says, ask him which one he means. He wants to figure out who he is so that he can do what? What does Peter want to do? Just know, you guys know Peter. What does Peter want to do? <laughs> he wants to off him. He's like, no, not today. Right? That's what, that's what Peter wants to do. And Peter's a funny guy. Let's look at Peter for a second. Um, Simon Peter, okay, so here's, 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 a, here's a, um, a picture of Peter that would actually show that he was really probably meaning to kill the guy. The next verse says, uh, this is John 18 through 10, 11. This is when Jesus actually gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword. Okay, what, what, is, Simon's, uh, what is Peter's uh, profession? Anybody? Fisherman. Where did he get a sword? You know, like in the old movies, you think everyone has these swords, like these gladiator swords. You're like, oh, I'm a farmer. Here's my sword. No, nobody had swords. All of a sudden, Peter got, he's like, he knows a guy. He's like, hey, here's some denarii. Hook me up with the, the best kind of sword you got, you know? He's like checking it out, right? And he's like, shing. He pulls out a sword and slices off the dude's ear. The high priest servant cutting off his right ear. Uh, John, I, I love John, because John, I think you'll, you'll feel, feel this in Scripture, I think John has something against Peter the whole time. And I don't know if he's like their best friends and they're just messing around, but Peter is like, throughout Scripture, Peter is the guy that's really loud and makes a lot of mistakes. And everyone kind of makes fun of him, right? And John is the guy who Jesus loves, whom Jesus loves, right? And, and Peter, John actually reminds me of Chris. What do, you guys know, what do you guys notice about Chris? He's always hugging. 
And he doesn't like carry his own weight when he hugs you. He lays his weight on you so that you have to carry his weight while he hugs you. And I think John is like this. Peter is like, oh, I'm going to fix this. And then everyone's like, you're an idiot, Peter, right? I love John because John's like, the servant's name was Malchus. Like, we didn't need to know that. <laughs> like, John's like, I just want you to know, in case you wanted to ask Malchus what happened, Peter pulled out a sword, Peter the fisherman, right, pulls out a sword and misses chopping his head off and slices off his ear. Because you know, like, I don't know if you guys heard the, the, the Bible story so often that you're like, oh, yeah, you know, like Peter meant to cut off his ear. Nobody swings a sword to cut off someone's ear. Look at this little penetrate. This thing, you don't aim for that. You're like, yes, nailed it ear swiped right off <laughs> no he wanted to kill the guy and he he's a fisherman he's like yeah he saw the movies just kidding no movies and he slices right and he misses and slices the guy's ear off and the servant's like what the heck <laughs> bro <laughs> could you practice a little before you pull out your sword right slices this is jo- this is peter this is peter's personality another example of peter uh matthew 26 and so matthew's not going to put any like jabs at Peter, but then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And we see that this becomes true, right? This is before it all happens, uh, Jesus is telling the crew. But after I had risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I will never. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, "Even even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So Peter's kind of the spokesman. He's a little bit older. He's really bullheaded. Jesus says, hey, tonight you're going you're gonna to disown me. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter still says, even if I have to die with you, right? And all the disciples are like, yeah, yeah, right? Peter's serious. He's so serious. And I feel like this is kind of like us. It's like, man, we are so, like, we're in the retreat, and they have the prayer time, right? And the staff are coming and praying for you, and you're bawling your eyes out because we always cry. We don't know why, right? People are crying and getting prayed for, and it's amazing and emotional. Jesus, I will follow you forever, right? And then you get home. You're like, hey, what's Wonders on YouTube? Watch YouTube for 10 hours. You're like, my life sucks. (laughs) I'm the worst Christian ever, (laughs) right? You don't even have a quiet time the next morning. You're cussing again, you know? Like, where did that word come from, right? Uh, Matthew 26, 55 through 56. 56, not sex. 56. (laughs) This is being recorded. I don't know why that came out. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. This is right when Jesus got arrested. And he's rebuking the soldiers. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And this is the terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. All of them. Every one of them. They all ran away, including Peter. So you have Jesus on this one hand who has spent three years doing miraculous things. They think he's the Messiah. They're starting to figure this out. Oh, wait, he's going to be the Savior of the world. He's changing everything. Everyone's putting their hope in him, including John, who's laying on him like Chris. Right? And then this very moment comes when the, when the, when the rubber hits the road. Rubber meets the road. Rubber meets the road. Then all of a sudden they're running. Right? How, how bad... Do you have it? How bad is your sin? It's probably not this bad. Right? How, how bad is your sin? How, how bad is it that, that you miss your quiet time or you miss your Bible reading or you miss your prayer time? Or How bad is it really? It's probably not this bad. 
Jesus, the Savior of the universe, with skin on, is come down on earth. He picks you out of all of the millions of people, and he says, I want you to follow me. And the very moment, the very moment he needed you, you disappear. You up and leave. Right? I'm not trying to downplay your sin, but the idea that if there's somebody like this that screws over Jesus so badly, right, that it probably doesn't compare to what we do. It's probably so much more. Especially with Peter's cry, I, you know, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. Now, the interesting thing is now we're going to compra- contrast John. John is very, very different than Peter. Remember, John is the Chris that lays on you and hugs you, right? And you see that actually in Scripture, in uh, uh, that passage that, uh, um, that Will read. <clears throat> Can you go back to that one? I don't know where it is. Um, there's the second slide of the, of the John passage. No, before, yeah. Oh, yeah, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? So this is John, who is very different than Peter. Peter wants to know who it is so that he can, he can kill the guy. John is leaning on J- Jesus. Some even say that he's laying on Jesus' chest, on Jesus' bosom. Which very, that's what it reminded me of Chris. <laughs> like Chris just, but he's so big that like I have to lay on his bosom. But it's like, like he's laying on Jesus' bosom. Like it's hard to think like Middle Eastern men being that affectionate. But John is absolutely and totally in love with, with Jesus. Like he thinks Jesus is the bee's knees. Right? John 19, 25 through 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, this is Jesus literally dying on the cross. Do you know how people die on the cross? They don't die from bleeding from their wounds, right? Where do they die from? What? Suffocation. They're literally, their lungs are starting to fill up with fluid and blood, right? It's stress. Their heart gives out. Their heart's filled with water, that kind of thing. They, they literally die of suffocation. And Jesus is sitting up on the cross, and he looks down, and he sees these group of women, and he sees one man. Who is it? He sees John and the disciple whom he loved. One disciple. You know how many people were following Jesus at this point? Tons. Remember what happened the week before Jesus dies? The triumphant entry into Jerusalem. They're starting to drop palm branches before he's walking. He's riding on a donkey. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You know what Hosanna means? God who saves. Hosanna in the highest. They're saying that he's the Messiah, thousands and thousands, the entire city of Jerusalem. And here at this moment, there is one man that is at the cross with Jesus. Jesus is suffocating, filling up with blood, and his lungs with fluid. He's looking down, and he sees, and he says, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So this disciple took Jesus' mom as his mother. So what's the difference? What are all the other disciples doing at this moment when Jesus is dying on the cross? Anybody? Chris? They're going back to fish. Yeah, they're going fishing, or they're probably hiding first. But yeah, they're going, like Peter, right? He'll, he'll, you'll see him start going back and fishing. They're hiding. But where is John? John is standing by the cross watching Jesus die. The very moment that John is needed, he is there. So what is the difference? What's the difference between John and Peter? 
I think it's his perspective. Like, I think that Peter really does love Jesus, obviously. He ends up changing the world. So does John. So does all the other disciples. But I think the perspective in that moment is that John has this natural ability to trust that Jesus is in control. John is laying in Jesus' bosom because he's not too stressed out, probably. Where Peter's like, I'm going to off this guy. John's like, oh, it's Jesus. He, he has it under control. He saved us from everything. The waves listen to him. The wind listens to him, right? And for you, in your sin, a lot of you think that you're just struggling and you're struggling and struggling. And you think that, that, that God is getting sick of it and he's getting sick of you and Jesus is disappointed with you and you're not doing enough and... And you think about, well, you know what, I, I, I gave it the college try. Or if you're in high school, I gave it the high school try. Whatever that is. Right? You did your best, but nothing came of it. And you shut that door in your life. I think that's what a lot of your parents did that used to be Christians when they were younger. Remember? If you've talked to your parents about them being Christian, they're like, yeah, I used to be really on fire for Jesus when I was younger. But there came a time because of their understanding or maybe their misunderstanding that they shut the door, their hearts became hard. And you better believe that every retreat you go on afterward and you feel the Holy Spirit moving in your life and you don't respond because you're like, it's just going to be the same. It's just going to be the same. It's just going to be the same. It's only going to take a week and then I'm going to go back to who I used to be. This transformation isn't really happening in my life. And then you get older and then you say, you know what? It was all emotionalism. The Holy Spirit really wasn't speaking to me. God wasn't really speaking to me. God really wasn't going to change my life. God, I'm not even sure if he even exists. That's what begins to decay in your life because you think you have this expectation that God will do this amazing thing in your life. Instantly, you will never desire anything but God for the rest of your life, but it's not like that. Remember last week we were talking about doubts and we were talking about the road, the road trip and I thought it was going to be awesome and I was thinking about it was going to be like a convertible sports car riding down the highway, Route 66, and it was going to be amazing, but it wasn't. My car broke down in Wyoming. They put in a bad part, charged me $900, and it broke down again in Jacksonville, Florida, where I lived. And that's how life really is. And the beauty of it is it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you. It doesn't mean Jesus isn't for you. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't working for you. Look at this. Mark 16, 6 through 7. Don't be alarmed, he says. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. This is at the grave of Jesus. The stone has been rolled away. He says, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And then he says this weird thing. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Why did he say go tell the disciples and Peter? Was Because Peter was the most spiritual? No, Peter was probably one of the biggest failures, if not the biggest failure next to Judas Iscariot. Peter denies Jesus three times to his face, cock crows, he weeps bitterly. It literally says he weeps bitterly. He walks off and he hides and he cannot go see Jesus because he, is, he can't see past his failures. He's focused on his failures, how he failed, how he failed, how he failed, how he failed. And then this, this angel says, but go tell the disciples and Peter. Why? Because Peter probably was thinking, oh, that part of me is over. I failed. Jesus won't accept me again. I don't deserve it. And see, this is the scandal of grace. The angel says, go tell Peter. This is the scandal of grace. This is your scandal. The fact is that... <clears throat> 
Grace is always unmerited favor. That means undeserved, meaning that even if you fail every single day for the rest of your life, you, you, it doesn't change the fact that the grace was undeserved. The fact that Jesus saved you, doesn't, it doesn't change that fact because the, you never deserved it in the beginning. A lot of times you guys think that you got saved because you had something in you that attracted Jesus to you and he decided to save you. No, there was nothing good in you from the very, very beginning. That's not what draws us to God or God draws us to, uh, it's just God's mercy for us. He loves us. It's not the quality of our behavior. Oh, we're not that bad. You guys know my life story. I was a horrible person. You remember the girl that I dated before um, I walked away from the Lord, right? Her and I had sex together and I went to tell her dad and then her dad said, I don't want you to ever see her again. Remember we did that purity ring. That was awkward. He bought me a gold ring that I was never going to have sex until I was married. And then the week after I had sex, and I wanted to tell him because I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to, t- to do that. So I tell him, and he says, I never want you to see this girl, my daughter, again. Of course, that broke my heart. And then I walked away from the Lord because all my friends abandoned me because they thought, you know, they were young in the Lord. But they just thought, oh, you know, he's a sinner, so we're not going to hang out with that guy. Right? And then all of a sudden, fast forward a couple years later, I'm in YOM serving as a missionary, traveling all over the world, telling people about Jesus. God's speaking to me every day. I'm being changed and transformed. And then I go back and I visit this girl and I talk to her about it. And she walked away from the Lord. She, became, she went into nursing school, but she failed out because she started a party. She was a really, really strong Christian. She started partying, getting drunk, and then she got raped by a Marine at a party. And I'm like, okay, uh, unmerited favor. God, she was way, way better than I was. And why, why did you let, why did you... Why did you bless me with this? Why did you change my life? Why did you help me? Why am I doing missions when she was the one that wanted to do missions and I didn't? And all of a sudden, I was doing missions. That's like a picture of unmerited favor. Now, God has her own story. Like, you can ask, okay, why did God allow that to happen? But that's her story and her life. But I know for my life, I look back at my life and I just look at these, these, these markings in my life. I'm like, God, why did you favor me? Why did you take care of me? I was, a, I was constantly afraid of divorce. My parents divorced when I was 11. And it, it, it scarred me, of course. I just thought, oh, I would never get married. And then, of course, I grew up in like middle America in, 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 in St. Louis. There's like one Korean, Asian dude. There was only one Asian dude. I was the only Asian guy. And I thought none of these white girls would ever date me because there's only you know, white, guy, white girls there where I was at. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm never getting married, and if I do, it's, there's a chance I'm going to get divorced. And then I marry this amazing woman, and we, you know, she pops out five kids, tricks me. But then I look back, I'm like, oh, wow, these kids, I love these kids, and this is, these kids are actually a blessing. I look at the unmerited favor in my life, right? And that's not just circumstantial, not just my behavior or my lifestyle, right? It's more than that. It's the unmerited favor that comes with my soul, the fact that even when I fail, even when I wake up, even when I'm lazy, even when I don't do what I say I'm going to do, even though I, I continue to sin and sin continues to prevail over my life, I know that God still absolutely loves me and he's transforming me. And although I'm on this road trip, right, I might be in hell right now, just like that song was saying, when it hurts like hell, I might be in this time right now, but it's not going to stay there because God is faithful to continue to drag me along. Sometimes when I need it, he'll drag me. Other times he'll continue to encourage me to move forward. Other times he'll have brothers and sisters in Christ that'll pray for me or carry me and walk with me. That's the unmerited favor in your life. So I don't know if you were like Peter right now where you think all I can do is I can't look past my failures. I just look at how much I suck as a Christian, how many times I've lied to God, how many times I've, I, I, I've been lazy or didn't do what I said I was going to do, and I tried over and over again and continue to fail, then you are looking at the wrong person. It's not about your behavior. 
And this is the beautiful thing about transformation, right? That road trip. Time just continues to go by and God continues to move and you just don't even realize it. I wish, man, there are certain sins in my life, man, I wish I just never had ever. And if, when I got saved, I just wish it would just disappear, right? I wish they would just disappear, but they don't disappear. But I can see God transforming it over time because he's transforming me. All of a sudden, I don't look like the same person that I used to look like uh, years ago. Even three years ago, I'm totally different than I used to be. I mean, you guys might not know this, but my wife does. Because the Holy Spirit is faithful to continue to transform me. But if I stare at my failures over and over and over again, that's all I do, and I think about how much I suck, I will never, ever get to the point where I look at Jesus and be like, wow. Jesus, thank you for saving my life. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for never walking away from me. All I think about is, Howard, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck. And that will take you into despair. And you will walk away from the Lord and you will think this was a bust. This was a failure. So I want to encourage you guys. You wake up tomorrow, you don't have a quiet time. I'm not telling you to not have a quiet time. If you wake up tomorrow and you don't have a quiet time, instead of looking at the failures like, oh yeah, I suck again, not disciplined, not doing anything for the Lord, forget that. Just start meditating on Jesus saying, you know, God, thank you so much. Start talking about the things that you're thankful for. It's really simple. I just spend, you know, like I, I have these negative thoughts and in psychology they tell you to wear a rubber band. Have you guys heard that? And whenever you get this downward spiral of thought, this is what happens to me all the time because I'm psycho. I just slap my, I, I just pinch, I, I, I just take the rubber band and slap, you know, that's what you're supposed to do and it's supposed to snap you out of it, this downward spiral. So I have these downward spirals and all I do is I stop. And I'm like, you know, God, I'm not going to think that. Because that makes me think about myself rather than Jesus. And that's, that's Satan's victory. That's Satan's victory right there. He makes you think about yourself and not in Jesus. Your eyes start be, becoming off of Jesus and onto yourself. He says, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. And if you can't identify with Peter, think about Mary Magdalene. You guys remember what happened to her? The angel appears to who? Jesus appears to who? Mary Magdalene. She was a woman of ill repute. We don't know what. Some theologians argue that she was not a prostitute, but she was a loose woman, right? But she gets raggedly saved. She has demons. Demons are cast out of her, and she's a broken and small woman. She wiped, washed, or she washed Jesus' feet with her hair and tears, right? She's a broken, broken, broken woman. And Jesus appears to her first. That's the, that's the scandal of grace. For you and your life, I don't know what you think about grace, but maybe you don't think about it enough. That you need to stop thinking about yourself and start looking at Jesus. Unmerited favor. Because I guarantee you, man, I love you guys very much. I pray, about, I pray for you guys all the time. I think about you guys all the time. I text you guys. I kind of just want to encourage you, right? I text them and I say, hey, you know, I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm thinking about you, meaning I'm praying for you. I'm worried about you. I care about your life, right? And if I care about your life, how much more does Christ, right? And some of you guys, actually a lot of you guys, come to me with your sins, like your th- things that you guys are struggling with and your failures. And I, I hope you notice that I'm never like, oh my gosh, you did what? Sinner. Well, it's okay. I might say that like jokingly, but <laughs> okay. I seem like an unsafe place, but I'm a safe place. <laughs> But if you come to me with your sin, I'm never shocked because I don't, I'm not surprised because you're human. I would be surprised if you're like, I never sinned. I'd be like, oh, really? That would surprise me. But if you're just like, I, you know, I'm sinning, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Tell me about it. Let's go, let's go through this. 
Jesus is the same way. He's not surprised that you're sinning. He didn't save like Wesley. Wesley's on his knees and repenting of his sin. And Jesus is like, I hope he doesn't sin. Mm. Ah, we'll go for it. Jesus, yeah, I mean, like I, I give you your, 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 you know, I forgive you your sins. And then Wesley gets up and he walks away and he starts sinning. And Jesus is like, oh man, I was way off. I thought Wesley wasn't going to sin. No, Jesus is totally aware of you, your character, your story, what makes you what you are, why you sin, the things that cause you to sin, so on and so forth. He's not surprised, and he's still extending, extending love, and he saved you, right? Not because of what you did, but because of what he did. Just simply out of his love and mercy for you, yeah? Now, what does this mean for us? Does this mean that you can just sin all you want and do whatever all you want and never strive? No, that's not what I'm saying. Your foundation should be seated in grace. You should recognize, you know what, this is, this is God loving me. This is Jesus loving me. And because of that, I respond. Right? When I was a little kid, I used to want to do all these things with my dad. Right? Not because my dad was a great man or this kind of thing, but in my mind, he was amazing. Right? And I just wanted to spend time with my dad. And I wanted to do things with my dad. Right? How much more is it with God? When we start to realize who God is and how much he loves us and how much he adores us and he wants the best for us and will do the best for us, he's trustworthy and he's faithful, always consistent, not, not like our parents. And we should always want to do the things that he wants to do. That begins to change in our heart, right? So my Romans professor, he always says, it's 100% God, the process of sanctification, the Holy Spirit changing you, transforming you. And it's all 100% man which means that we should continue to strive. We should work with the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit convicts us, we should yield. But when we fail, we always look to Jesus, never to look at our failures. Because we will fail along the way. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I'm older, and I'm not that flexible. And some of these guys are young, 20-year-olds, and they want to win all these medals and win championships and fight and do like UFC, like MMA and stuff like that. And so when I train against them, they tap me out a lot, right? Which means they try to break my arm, and I tap, so they'll stop. That's what that means. Right? So they'll try to break my arm or choke me out. So if they choke me, I will black out if I don't tap. Right? So they do that a lot. In the sense of that, <clears throat> I can be really discouraged because some guy's tapping me out over and over and over again. But I know in the big picture, right, there will come a time where I will tap him out. Right? Because I will be getting better and better and better. Right? Right? And you see that in jiu-jitsu. And it takes a long time. And I love jiu-jitsu because it takes like 10, at least 10 years to get a black belt. Korean, like in Korea with Taekwondo, it takes like three months to get a black belt, I think. But like, but like, like in, in jiu-jitsu, it's like it takes 10 years at least to get a black belt because it's really, 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 really hard and you get beat all the time, beat all the time. But if you think of it in short-term perspective, you think, well, I suck, I'm losing, I'm not doing good. If you think every moment, every battle you're losing, uh, you start to take that as an identity. I suck at this. I, I'm, not, I'm not any good at this. But if you look at the long term and you see how much you're developing, how much you're growing, and how much you're changing, and how much better you're getting, and it takes time, that's your transformation. You can't just think automatically, because I lost this battle today, this defines me. Because I fell into the sin today, this defines me, this is who I am, I'm, I'm the worst Christian ever. No, this is just part of the process. As the Holy Spirit starts to transform you, He does it over time, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I've seen you guys grow up. Some worse, <laughs> some better, right? But it's all a process, it happens. The Holy Spirit is faithful, okay? So be encouraged. So this week, as you guys go about your, your week and, and doing what you do, uh, when you fail, because you will, when you fail, look at the Lord. Be reminded of his graciousness, of his goodness, of his kindness, of his love for you. Don't look at your failure. Repent of your failure. Just be like, God, I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on it. Help transform me. And then go on. Move on. Snap that wrist, right? 
Um, small group questions. Uh, number one, share something cool that happened this week. All that is is um, kind of like an opening question. Uh, what do you do when you feel like you're spiritually failing? Like what was your past response? Um, number three, what was your big takeaway from today's message? Number four, what will you do different when now, now when you're struggling? Um, if you are in college and above, you don't have small group. We have small groups on our Friday night college group. Um, but high schoolers, um, uh, small group leaders, just make sure that you, you get anybody that's visiting that's not in a small group, okay? Uh, I'm going to pray for you guys and then we'll be done. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. The fact that, oh man, that our faith is not about our merit. And we don't have to carry this burden on us where we're walking around and feeling like failures. But instead, your grace is constantly being, uh, is reminding us of how you perceive things. And so I just pray that you help us to think in the way that you think of us. That it's because of you and your grace and your love for us that we, uh, we have this opportunity to be transformed. And these moments when we fail, Lord, is only a moment in the time of our process of, of sanctification. But you are drawing us towards you every day, every step of the way. And so, Lord, help us to move in that direction every day. Not to be slowed down by ourselves, by looking at ourselves, by focusing in on ourselves. And so, Lord, thank you so much for everybody that has heard this. But I just pray that you would use this in a real way throughout the week. God, we just ask you for your mercy, and we just thank you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.